five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello and welcome to episode 0029 of Five in the Eye, the easy listening radio show that has you tapping your feet to some of the top news stories of the week. In the colourful radio studios in South London, I'm Phil Woodford. And this is me, Michael O'Hajuru, joining Phil in the studio and asking the all-important question, what topics are we covering this time? Five in the Eye. Well, our top story this week is the news that during the climate summit in Paris, the Arsenal football team chose to fly to Norwich from their North London home. It leads us to ask the question about what global warming actually means to us as individuals and whether we all have a personal responsibility to do something about it. A 14-minute trip by plane, come on. Our second story is about political parties. The Tories are trying to deal with a scandal that involved the death of a young activist, while the Labour Party split down the middle over airstrikes on, on Syria and the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn. What on earth is, the, is, 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 is it that motivates people to get involved in these parties? Well, I am a member of a political party, Michael, as we've discussed before, so I can assure you we're very normal people. Really? And at number three this week, we're talking about a grandmother who was sacked from her retail job because she had to look after her grandchildren on Saturdays and couldn't work. Yes, apparently she wasn't flexible enough. Has the balance tipped too far away from the workers in favour of the bosses? Story number four is the extraordinary tale of the man from the Netherlands who used fake ambulances, including fake patients, to smuggle drugs worth 1.6 billion into the UK. Now, if that's legal, I'm a Dutchman. Call me Mr. Van Woodford. And our final item this week is a cat story. At long last, I knew I'd sneak another one back in. Over in Belgium, they've come up with the perfect way to promote tourism. They're capitalising on the feline social media sensation that took Brussels by storm during the recent terror alert. God help me. Cat stories. Catastrophe. (laughs) Thankfully, it's just one of this week's Five in the Eye. In the eye. Okay, so our first story this week is to do with the climate summit, which is taking place in Paris. But one thing that really came and put it in perspective, something a little bit more human, um, was the news that the Arsenal football team were travelling to Norwich, which, um, as listeners will know, isn't really that far as the crow flies from North London. It's maybe a couple of hours in a car or you know on a train journey or something like that to Norwich. It's perhaps not the easiest place to get to. But what did they do? They flew. And the flight took 14 minutes. And there was a lot of criticism of this because actually, you know, it's so unnecessary, isn't it, to take a flight from London to Norwich, a 14-minute flight when there's so many other ways they could have got there. Well, it, it, it sends the wrong signals about saving the planet. Because, you know, the biggest, the biggest use of carbon is, the, is, is, air, is airlines. So you can fly less and you reduce, you reduce your carbon. So it makes sense if, if they wanted to send out the right message, they would behave ecologically and take the train or take the bus. Or take a bus. Um, they would argue that it would take more time and be more hassle. But I would argue they, are, they have a duty because they're, they're a responsible organisation. To, to save to, to save the planet to, to save the planet to conserve to, to conserve energy to respond to the climate change the, the need to, to, to respond to the climate change as appropriate sends out the right signals now I know I know that sounds a bit pompous you know should a football team set have standards but look come on these are, these are things that are affecting the whole planet and and it, for me I, the wake-up call for me was because I because I I found it really hard at first to believe in the uh, this, this concept of climate change, 
when you think uh, you know we are we've, we've been through several ice ages mm. you know so things well, you, get, you probably remember them don't you michael <laughs> thank you for that for, you know we get hot and we get cold over time but you know the the, the sheer weight of of scientific uh, knowledge papers and inquiries being brought to bear and the fact that there's do you know how many how many um uh, governments uh, submitted a paper for reducing their carbon footprint in response to the climate change. How many? I expect you're going to tell me. Well, 185, and mm -hmm. there's only there's only 205 um, countries in the UN. Yeah. So that that means the vast majority of the planet thinks there's something they need to respond to. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm going along with that and the belief that you know that, that they've got to be saying something right. And so so when you look at Arsenal, maybe they should be doing something right. You know, you know, taking the taking the train, taking the bus. Yeah, and then it comes back to our own individual actions. I mean, sometimes, of course, it feels very inadequate, doesn't it? I mean, kind of the things that we can do, we can um, we can put recycling out. Um, outside our homes and we think well we're doing our little bit or we can reuse plastic bags and we're being encouraged to do that now because they you, they're charging for the plastic bags and five so on five go yeah yeah i saw a story the other day not one of our five in the eye but i saw a story about a guy who's using the same tesco bag he used in 1982 <laughs> and that's pretty good what going i say about tesco bags or him well you know? <laughs> yeah well i think the tesco bags are obviously obviously long lasting I cut above the rest that really is a bag for life isn't it <laughs> Well, funny you should say that because I I, I I actually bought my first bag since it's five peak because I usually carry my own bag with me. Mm -hmm. I noticed. Is that like a man bag? Ex no, that was a plastic bag actually. They fit neatly into the pocket, folded up. Uh, there was a Sainsbury bag, and uh, there was a noticeable increase in quality in the Sainsbury's bag. Yeah, that's thicker. true actually. Yeah, it was it was thicker. But we digress here. We yeah, digress. yeah, yeah. How we got onto <laughs> Sainsbury's bags? <laughs> come, come, come back to this this um this climate change and making it personal. Where I where, I, where I, for me. I think that's the real key to making it personal, and and but making it personal by saving me money. Mm. And I'm really I'm, I've been re, I've been impressed by how I didn't want to buy them at first. These these uh, these LED light bulbs because they, they were twenty quid ago. Yeah. But you know that has been they have they have saved money. Yes, I mean I, no, I, you know I can I can I can absolutely vouch for this because I've actually done some work with with Philips. And uh, they make a lot of LED lights that go into retail stores and so on. And the amazing thing is that, you know, um, people are doing good things for the environment and they're spending less money. It's a win-win situation. But it's the same at Woodford Towers. We put the LED lights in and I was gobsmacked, actually, by how much less my electricity bill was. And so um, you can do something positive for the environment and save money at the same time. One of the things I would like to see people to do, see people to do, people, <laughs> people to do, is to reduce their speed on motorways. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that, there was a move to... to well, down to your speed. Down to a safe speed. There was a move to increase the speed to 80 miles an hour, and it's, it's still around, but it has, it's gone on the back burner. And I, I'd like it even reduced back to 55 miles an hour, and it's 55 miles an hour, because that's the most efficient speed for engines today. Mm. And at that 55 miles an hour, you, you can get extremely exemplary petrol consumption. And then what do you get extemporary petrol consumption? You're saving money. You know, there's a connection between your foot and your pocket here. Mm. The harder you press that to the metal, the more the money drains from your pocket. So go a little bit slower. Go a little bit slower make, make perfect sense. So you can imagine Arsenal, they do a steady 55 miles an hour in the bus. Yeah. How many miles is it? It's 100 miles to Norwich, and they'll be there in a couple of hours, wouldn't they? Exactly. They'll save the planet, they'll save a lot of money, and they'll set a great example. 
You know, so, so, so these are the things that, climate, that, uh, that make climate change real for me, the fact that you're in my pocket. So I'm always I'm challenged when you talk about, you know, the, the sea levels are going down or going up. Because I know we've got a road, land erosion here in, in Britain, so is that, mm. is that related well, to Well, I mean, you know, London is only a few inches above sea level, yeah. to be honest. And so if, if we did see major sea level rises, cities like London in the long term are actually quite threatened. No, you're right. You're right, and I guess I feel hot and cold about this climate change. I mean, I should do something about it. I am. Was that something. a joke? The hot and cold thing. It was hot. It was a joke. No, it wasn't a joke. But I, I guess you need to do something. We need to do something. And this, and this, this um, driving a little bit slower, saving money there. Using the LED bulbs, saving money there. Turning the thermostat down, saving money there. That 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 means something to me. One I'm, thing. I'm, one I'm, thing you should never do though is turn off the radio. Turn off the radio. Turn off the radio. <laughs> no, so I guess I'm I'm doing my bit, but I, I guess I'm not I'm not with these zealots. There. I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not with those who are who who, who religiously who spend their life, you know, going on about uh, 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 um, to the nth degree in, in in saving the planet. It's more about saving your pocket than saving the planet. For for me, in, ter- in, ter- in terms of climate change. Okay, well, um, one thing, one thing's for sure. If um, Dennis Bergkamp was still playing for Arsenal, he wouldn't have gone on the plane because he notoriously didn't like the idea of flying. He was known as the non-flying Dutchman, if I remember correctly. Um, but uh, times have moved on, and Arsenal are prepared to fly to Norwich. Five in the eye. Well, our second story this week is about uh, political parties and we've seen there's a scandal in the Tory party at the moment because um, there was a young activist who tragically uh, took his own life Mm -hmm. and there were allegations of bullying within the party which are now being investigated and we're we're not going to be going into that story or or even the story the sorry story of the Labour Party and their splits over Syria because this week they seem to be split right down the middle but um what does it say to you, Michael, when you read these stories? What does it say to you about political parties and the people who maybe are involved in them? Well, it's, it's about zealots and the loony left and the loony right and the extremes. Because I guess the, the, these, these party members, these, these party loyalists, they turn up to the meeting you know, on, those wet, on those wet Wednesday nights in the middle of winter and, and, and to have their say. They're, they're committed to the cause, but do, do they reflect reality? Do they reflect reality? And I'm, you know, I'm minded of some of the. Uh, I've had some experience of, of Labour Party activists, and that's the they died in the wool socialists. Oh my God! They are, they well, died, I mean, died you know, in the yeah. wool, you know. And but, but let's we've moved on. I'm just going to check. There's socialism no, is a failed. <laughs> I'm just going to check. There's no reds under the table here, Michael. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, socialism is it's failed. It doesn't work in the same way. Capitalism in 2000 has failed. We saw that 2008, 2006 with the um, and seven with, 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 with the crash. So we're having to, to, to review these things. So parties. Rather than relying on these kind of fundamentals, you know, I'm a capitalist, I'm a socialist, and that's it, I'm left, I'm right, should, should be, well, I, I would like to believe, should be grand coalitions, you know, coalitions, but, but, it, but it seems that the, fun, uh, the, the, the actual members are kind of zealots in, in the extreme, and on the one hand, you've got your, your, your um, literally your loony left in your, your Labour Party, who are running now around, you know, who, um, 
or giving Mr. Mr. Corbyn. I was going to say Mr. Corbyn such a hard time, but no, he's one of them. <laughs> he's one of them. Yeah, that's but, that's what it's hard to get your head around it. Exactly. The leader is actually one of the loony left. But but, but in the same thing, you've got you've got the, you've got these uh, the, these what was what, what they called? What was that group called? The um, Road Trip 2015. These these, these young Tory the young Tory elements. activists who go out but on the road. Enough, because they were young and active, they were they, they were brought into the tent, so to speak, and and. Regrettably, the, the things were done in the tent, which were not quite appropriate. We led to, led to some resignation at a high level, but nevertheless, these people, these young people, were, were were extreme in their kind of belief in their cause. Yeah, but isn't this the nature of activism? I mean, what I would say is, like, you could go to another organisation. We could we could talk about, for instance, um, a religious organisation. You'd find that a small proportion of the people in the church were the ones who did all the work and were the ones who were the kind of most committed to it, and the others don't really bother so much, do they? And isn't, right. isn't this normal in lots of environments? No, you're right, but you need responsible activism. Or equally, or on the other side of the coin, you need responsible management. Mm. Um, and in turn, responsible leaders. Now, I think, if, if we look at Labour, I think they've lost the plot now. I think that, that, that their leadership is, sorry for this, Phil, is not what it should be. It's not yeah, well, it I think be. there's but a general having, consensus about that. But, but having said that, Cameron is sensitive to it, and, and he's already, you know, Scully's gone, his, his deputy chairman of the party is gone, he's sorted him out. And in the past, Cameron's not afraid to, to deal with people who are not on message or part of a grand coalition you know, that, 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 that moves the party forward. So in some ways, I've, I've got a grudging respect for Mr. Cameron in that sense. He, he's, he's aware of, he has to keep the party balanced, Kind of on an even keel, you can't have too many of the zealots because it, it, it leads to kind of um, some not very nice things happening. So we're not going to talk too much about what's going on in the Tory party, but we can come back to, did I say, your party, Phil? And we, a bit of history now, a bit of history, militant tendency. Yeah, well, militant I mean, you know, Do you remember uh, what, what, what was it Kinnick said? A Labour Party, a <laughs> Labour Party scuttling round. Yeah, yeah. Liverpool. If this is a famous speech of Neil Kinnock from 1985. Yeah, yeah. dealing out uh, redundancy notices. This yeah. is where you get in extremism. And one of the things we have, one of the things that's great about Britain is that that centre ground. Yeah. That, 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 that kind of, so, that, that, is there a danger that actually in the UK at the moment, maybe parties are drifting too far away from the centre, perhaps on both sides, too far away from the centre, and we we lack that kind of centre ground appeal? And where does that leave? Where does that leave ordinary members of the public no, when they come that, to vote? Well, interesting enough, I believe that, that I don't I don't believe that. I believe it's more the common ground now. What do we have in common? How can we come together? Okay, this Syria Syria vote is an extreme example. Well, you had Tories phoning Labour people. Mm. You know, come on, get on board, because it was such an important, it was an important issue. So that 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 consensus, consensus politics. Now I know some people resent consensus politics. You like extremism, but we live in an age now where you know we're, I'm not saying we're all comfortable. We're not. We're all not far, far from comfortable. But the extremes of the past, though, though, those divisions, and we'll be talking about that later between Labour and capital between the boss and the workers that is 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 is, is changing it's changed and um, and um, maybe we, we are we are a little bit more content with each other you know we're, we're in the, the extremes from one one to the left from the right to the left aren't, aren't, aren't appropriate today we want that common ground politics five in the eye well you mentioned the um the balance between the labour force and uh, the, the bosses. And that's our third story this week, which is about a grandmother 
who was working at the retailer Sports Direct, but she was working via an agency. And um, she was working maybe, um, you know, long hours during the week, but um, she was asked to work on a Saturday. And she said, no, I can't work on a Saturday. And the reason I can't work on the Saturday is I've got to look after my grandchildren. And then, according to the Daily Mail, the next thing she heard was um, she'd received a text message saying that she was no longer required. And there's something really uh, a little bit disturbing about the idea very that... Very disturbing, very um, disturbing. That, 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 you know, it's you're not wanted yeah. anymore because yeah. you've got a family commitment at the weekend. I mean, what does that say about well, the country it, now? No, it's, not, it's not you're not wanted anymore. It's the way it's done. Mm. It's the way it's done. If they brought her in and say, I'm not sorry... It's not working out here because we needed to come in, your family. We appreciate that. But to do it by text, it's, it's, it's inhuman. I remember when, when in um, a, a couple of a long time ago, uh, I was in a company and they're going through uh, some redundancies. And it was the day the redundancies were on, and they were calling people over the tannoy. Mm. And we knew if your name came with the tannoy, you'd been called in to be made redundant. So at least they actually did it face to face. So, you, but you knew when your name came. Paging Mister Our Jury. Exactly, exactly. See, so, you know, luckily it wasn't me. I, I I made the cut. I was okay. So, but so I'm aware of, of how how emotional it is to be told you're no longer required. And in them days, it was redundancy. You got a package and you were sorted. Mm-hmm. This this lady's not being sorted here. Well, no, it because is, she, she's she's uh, working, uh, you know, on a zero hours contracts, yeah. which is just. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing the thing is here. I mean, um, I think that we do as a society set boundaries for how we feel that employees should be treated and how much power employers should have. And some of this is worked out in employment tribunals, but some of it's set down in law. We do as a society have the right to make choices. And you could say, well, this is, um, you know, this is just the way the world is today. No one has the guarantee of work. Um, And for some people, that world is fine because maybe they're quite reasonably well off and it's nice to be able to pick and choose what jobs you take and when you do them. But other people are trying to put bread on the table, aren't they? And they actually want regular income and um, they're told that they're really expendable, aren't they? And isn't this going back to the worst employment practices of the past? Okay, okay, I'm going to answer that two ways. First, yes, these are dreadful practices. Sacking by text, totally, totally unacceptable. But we live in an age now of zero-hour contracts where you're called in at the last minute, you know, we need you you to come in now. Equally, you need to go now. So your hours are not predictable. So... Okay, we accept that. We accept that you know that the business is dynamic now, and um, companies want to behave dynamically, and 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 employees are aware of that. But equally, there's still a sense of of human decency, a responsibility that employees have to the to their. Well, they're not employees; they're contractors now. It's not it's not that, mm. that close. That you you treat people with a sense of decency. Yeah. You know, I mean, what, the, the text you, message what, what, to say you're no longer required. I'm sorry. That, I mean, that, some people would argue that, okay, leaving aside the rights and wrongs of it, and I, I have to say I don't like this kind of practice, but leaving aside whether in employment law this is right or wrong or legal or not or whatever, um, what about the PR issues here? Because you'd think, yeah. you, you'd think, wouldn't you, that a company wouldn't want the kind of publicity that goes with this, and they would think, surely some of our but, customers but, but, are not going to no, like this. I, 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 you know, if, I think the sports direct, I don't think they're interested in that. Because the, the, their customers are getting the goods at the right price. There's a very simple relationship they have with their goods. 
you know, black people, they know they're going to get the, the sneakers or the... Yeah, the, 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 so we're all guilty of this, aren't we? We see something that's cheap and then we don't think necessarily what's gone into producing it. We were talking about this before the show. Now, I mean, I there are things I would pay a premium for. And I was saying to you before the show, um, you know, for instance, I would buy free-range meat or organic meat if I felt that animals were being better treated and better looked after i'd be prepared to pay extra money and i do but maybe there's other things where i just go for the cheapest option like everybody else but phil you're exercising your choice Mm -hmm. some people don't have a choice they're they're, they're living on a limited income so they've got to go for that you know they've got to take the the sports direct they've got to take the line whatever so the price is right but at the same time people need people need to be treated decently and I guess how decently to need to be treated, that to me, minimum, that respect, you, you, don't, you don't send a text message to sack, to sack people. And okay, you're gonna say, then you're gonna say, well, what do you mean by decency? Do you pay them fairly? Do you give them a canteen? Well, you know, there's, there's the, 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 way, the way you employ people, we can discuss, we can discuss. But there are, there, are, there are some things you have to get right in terms of if you're dealing with, I'm going to say, as, as a human being, you want your people to do the best for you. So you treat them the way you would expect to be treated. Yeah, and so that's the other argument. Let's leave aside the customers. You want a productive, committed workforce. You've surely got to um, treat them with respect. And sending text messages like this, well, it doesn't really fall, it doesn't seem to fall into no, that category, exactly. does it? Because I can imagine the effect that has on company morale. You know, the, the other people look at when they see that happening. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of put off by it. You know, because equally coming back to when, when redundancy were going on, they made sure that the, the redundancy packages were good. So that those who were left, we were left, knew that those who were, those who went were looked after. So you, you still felt that, that the company cared. You like, you like to believe that your company cares, but maybe we live in an, an age now where the company doesn't give a damn. You know, and, and, and I'm not saying I'm not that close to, to Sports Direct, but I, I sense there are many companies now, it's about getting the price right, getting the price for customer. And so we, we get the companies we deserve. You know, we got the products, you know, products we, we deserve, you know. Maybe it comes with uh, where, where, where we are today, the high street is today. So for story number four, we cross over the channel to the Netherlands, but we're going to be crossing back pretty quickly. And Michael, you explain this one to us. This is a fascinating story. It's about uh, uh, an ambulance firm. And on the service, their business was, was, was bringing um, patients who'd fallen ill in the Netherlands, uh, British patients, and they needed to be transferred home. And they were making trips. But they were also smuggling drugs. In fact, £1.6 billion worth of drugs. Well, this is a mind-boggling figure. When I, fir- when I first read this story, I have to admit, um, and this is very poor for, for a host of five, and, you know, I, read, I read the story and I read it as £1.6 because I suppose my brain couldn't get my head around the idea that £1.6 billion uh, pounds of drugs have been transported in this ambul- these ambulances. An, an extraordinary figure. And I, was, I was minded by it, what, what, what the police always say, you never caught the first time. Never mm. caught the first time. Well, apparently these people had made oh, no, no, over 40 trips. And in fact, there was a very interesting expression. Okay, well, for me it was interesting when he said that this was, 
the 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 arrest was an intelligence-led operation. Mm-hmm. Now I've got this idea: intelligence-led. They'd seen them come and go a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. They got their modus operandi sorted. So, well, so some, <laughs> someone must have rumbled something somewhere. I mean, what what was incredible about this was not only were they. I mean, it started out with a fake ambulance, and then they had real ambulances, and there was a fleet of them. <laughs> yeah, business. And, and yeah, it was yeah. it was a little fleet, and they looked like the real deal. But to add the finishing touches, we had stuff like the paperwork that was showing the patients. <laughs> being transferred from one hospital to the other. We yeah. even had fake patients in yeah. the back of the ambulances yeah, yeah. to add to the convincing nature of the story. No, but you, 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 I was going to say, you've got to hand it to these people. You've got to hand it to these drug smugglers, their ingenuity, because drug, there, there are some other drug smugglers who use other methods, you know, eating drugs and... Um, All kinds of, yeah, <laughs> rather undesirable <laughs> things, yeah. In Colombia, they were using submarines to smuggle drugs. Now, that, 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 that is industrial scale there. Mm. I, I love that idea. And I don't know if this is true. Do, do they have people dressed up as submariners? <laughs> Sub- <and laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this is true, but I like to believe it's true. That, that is in, uh, on the Mexican border, they, they were using catapults, big, you know, big sort of medieval catapults to fire the drugs <laughs> over. You know, it, you know, it makes sense if you put a little, a, a GSM card inside, so you know, mm-hmm. you gotta, uh, put a mobile phone in the, in the pack of the drugs, whop it over the... Uh, <laughs> oh, you go. You should, you, you use your um, satnav or whatever to, to to locate it. You know, it's all there to do. But these guys, you know, the one you got. I was going to say you got to hand it to them. But but having said that. It was illegal. We don't approve of drugs on five in the eye. It, we, cer- it, it, we certainly it, don't. Um, but you, you, what you'd think is if these guys could use their obvious intelligence it, and planning yeah. abilities for something more productive, yeah. uh, you know, they, they, they could do some great things, couldn't they? De- it's definitely. a shame that they turned it uh, to such a negative uh, activity. Five in the eye. And our final story this week. I can't believe we're doing this story. Is about cats. Cats. And cats are, of course, a, a staple of Five in the Eye, or they would be if I had my way, but actually Michael's only ever let me do one cat story. This is two cat stories now. Um, <laughs> this, is the second, this is the last cat story. So in Brussels, during the recent terror alert, there was a crackdown, wasn't there, on, um, yeah. on, on, on the city where no one was allowed out and so on, and there were these anti-terror operations going on. And the police made a plea. They said, don't... Um, use social media to talk about the ongoing operations, which sounds pretty reasonable because um, I suppose anything that alerted terror groups to what the authorities were doing was potentially dangerous. So the ingenious people of Brussels, they knew they couldn't tweet about um, the terror alerts, and so they started tweeting about cats. And cats they're in all... Brussels. No, no, I'm sorry, mate. I'm sorry, Phil. This is out of order. You know, cats and Brussels, no connection in my mind. You know, I, I connect with Brussels. What was the symbol of Brussels? Come on, tell me this. You uh, know, the, is it Hercule Poirot? No, <laughs> famous Belgians, that's another one. It's that little boy, the mannequin of piss. So why, why don't they have little mannequin of piss all, all over Belgium? That'd be really good. You know, something proper happening in Belgium for a change. Well, people, people love their cats. And, uh, no, no uh, I'm going to say, but why are you a national symbol? Why you have the cat is not the national symbol of Brussels. Well, you got these what, daft cats what, with, the, with, 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 with the may grey hat on, well, what, smoking what, a pipe. What's quite interesting cats though is the, the reason the reason this story is back in the news yeah. is that the tourist authorities in Belgium are capitalising on the cats. Catalyzing? Catalyzing? Yes, I don't know. They 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 Pathetic. are taking <laughs> they they are taking advantage of this cat phenomenon um, to launch a, a, a kind of marketing campaign because perhaps Brussels 
currently isn't the top destination in Europe, given all the uh, recent shenanigans that have been going on there. And so they're using these cats as a way of enticing people over. Um, I'm, so, I'm sorry, they've, they've lost the plot. A cat, but you, you've got the, what is that? The, the atodonium, the atonium, and you've got the cat heads all over the atodonium. You've got these fake cats in all over Brussels. I'm sorry, it doesn't work. It looks, it looks pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> it, looks like that. it looks like they've hijacked it. What they've done is, you know, the fact that you, you internet people, when we have, you, you, you have a viral pictures of cats, you know, angry cats, sad cats, and you, you, you send them out, and you've got no taste. If it's a cat, you'll, you'll, you'll pass it on. You'll put a like, you know, so come on. If they're going to do it, they should have the mannequin of piss. He should have been there, and he should have been all over the place. Do it everywhere. All over. In fact, something proper in Brussels for a change. <laughs> something proper. Five in the eye. Forget the news. We're the Muse Reviews show here on uh, Colourful Radio. <laughs> the Muse Reviews. You write these scripts, honestly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to write a script. I've got to get properly. But I'll pretend I didn't hear that. We've finished for another week, but please join us again next time when we, we broadcast on Friday between 9 and 10 in on Colourful Radio and the show is repeated the following Monday at the same time. You can email us at michaelandphilip5ite.co.uk or tweet us at 5, number 5 in the eye. And if you want to stream for your those, just visit colourfulradio.com where you'll spot our gorgeous pictures too. Spot on, no, spot my gorgeous picture. I'm not so <laughs> sure about your picture. So this is me, Michael O'Hajura, saying... If you have been, thanks for listening and bye-bye for another week. And this is Phil Woodford here with Michael in South London, wishing you well and hoping you'll join us again next time. Goodbye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?